morning, Burr. <laughs> Uh, I want to pass along a thank you from David and Angela. You guys have been, you, so, you folks have been praying for her. She's been in the hospital, and they want to say thank you. So we are powering through 1 Corinthians chapter 7 today. Paul says, now concerning the things about which you wrote, so they've written some questions to him. It is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except for agreement for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them to remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word gives us life, that it refreshes us, encourages us. Father, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would be here in this place today, and that we would be blessed by your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So... Sometimes when people read this passage here in 1 Corinthians, they focus on the point that Paul has made that he keeps telling people that it's good for them if they can be as he was, which was unmarried. Now, at one point in time, Paul had to have been married because the Pharisees were all married. That was a requirement for being a Pharisee. We don't know what happened to his wife She's never mentioned, but at this point, Paul is not married. Um, he is single. So, But sometimes they focus on the fact that, oh, Paul said it's good not to get married. So that's the ultimate. That's the very best is to not be married. And so sometimes they, they don't get married. And, and, then, um, and then they find themselves in some sort of difficulty because, you know, it's pretty unnatural for uh, people to not have a spouse. And uh, so they focus on that. But if you actually read what he says here, um, he makes this statement. um, He says that uh, everyone does not have his own gift from God, which allows him to concentrate completely on the Lord's work. There's a gifting involved there. You know, some people are some people are happy not having a spouse. Some people are happy not having someone in their life that they share their life with. Other people are miserable. They need a spouse. They need a husband or they need a wife. Um, I often think back to uh, in the Garden of Eden when God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I don't know very many men who are happy being alone. It's not good for a man to be alone. All kinds of things go wrong. And uh, it's, it's good for, for us to have a spouse. It's good for us to have a husband or a wife. So the Corinthians had written this question to Paul, 
And uh, it raised other questions. One question is whether or not Paul's position was in conflict with his own Jewish background, especially his teaching there about celibacy. And when you read the entire chapter, there are three traditional Jewish teachings about marriage that Paul affirms right there. First of all, marriage was intended to be monogamous. That is one husband and one wife. That was the ideal, not to be multiple women involved or multiple men involved or something like that. Um, and then second of all, premarital or extramarital relationships were not a part of the deal. Once you get married, you are committed to your husband or to, to your wife. Whenever I do a wedding ceremony, one of the phrases that I use in there is forsaking all others. Do you understand that? Forsaking all others. You are marrying this person and you are not going to be having straying eyes. You're not going to be, you know, thinking about, oh, gee, that's a that's a very handsome or that's a very beautiful woman over there. That's not the deal. The deal is that you you are committed to your husband. You are committed to your spouse and you make that person the priority in your life. You prioritize that person. And then uh, the third point that he makes is that intimacy is important uh, to a marriage, to a husband and wife. Sometimes uh, Christians have the idea that, that it's not good. They have the idea that, ooh, that's, that's bad. That's something that Christians don't do. No, absolutely. You know what? It's God's invention. It was God's idea. And when God got done creating people when he got done creating he said that it was good so it's a good it's a part of your marriage it's good in your marriage but if it's outside your marriage that's not good you have to forsake all others you focus on your spouse that's the focus you uh, need to understand that this was kind of a radical statement for that time and uh, you know there are people now who will say that um, oh, you're a very judgmental Christian because you're saying that that uh, I, I, when I marry somebody, I'm making a commitment to them and that I'm going to be monogamous with them and that they're going to be the center of my life. And, and that's very narrow-minded. You know, they'll, they'll say that, well, today it's different. Today we, we, have, a, um, today we have a broadened mind. Today, today we have more freedom than that. No, no, this was in Paul's time. This was a very long time ago. They were dealing with the same situation then. The same problems existed then. Uh, There's something very beautiful about a husband and a wife who are committed to each other and who are focused on taking care of that person. There's something very beautiful about um, when a husband takes care of all of his wife's needs, whatever they are. And uh, I'll be the first one to admit, I don't always get there. I'm struggling, you know, um, and I believe probably most men are. We never really quite reach that point. Um, there's just always something that we should be doing for our wife, and we don't get there. We don't do it. Something beautiful about a wife who takes care of her husband, who meets his needs. She, she sees that, you know, he needs to eat now and then, and she can cook, and she does, you know. If, if I were the one cooking, I would not be as chunky as I am. I can tell you that. I would probably be like a beanpole up here because I don't cook. 
Whenever I cooked, when, you know, when my kids were little, whenever I tried to cook, they said, Dad, I'm not hungry. Whatever it is you made, I'm not hungry. I don't, don't, don't even want to try it. So there's, you know, but it's beautiful when you see a couple who take, they take care of each other. And when a couple puts themselves, when a couple puts their spouse ahead of themselves, above themselves, then the wife is taking care of every one of her husband's needs and the husband is taking care of every one of his wife's needs. And both people are getting everything that they need from each other. And that creates a strong marriage. Something very that, That's God's plan. That's God's intention for us. You know, if that had not been God's intention uh, from the very beginning um, in the Garden of Eden, he, he would never have created Eve. He just said, Adam, you're on your own, buddy. Go cook your own food. Go take care of yourself. You're, you're just alone. But no, he knew, God knew for, for, for the sake of completeness, for the sake of completeness, that we need a spouse. And you know, it's very interesting when you look at people and you, you, you study them a little bit and you look at their personality and their, uh, their abilities, their skills, their traits, you often find that the wife has skills in certain areas where the husband does not. And the husband has skills in areas where the wife does not. And between the two of them, they're able to take care of everything they need to take care of in life. But neither one of them have everything. That's usually the way it is. That's usually the way it is if you look at it carefully. So, uh, from Paul's background, marriage was the norm. Marriage was normal. It was even required in some places. Um, marriage was a sacred obligation. You were obligated to get married. This is this was the the, the uh, background that Paul was coming from. But Paul now he's saying, you know, if you have a if you are if you have a gift where you know you're happy being alone, you you are fine being alone. Go for it. You know, it's your choice. He's removing the obligation. Is what he's doing. And then, you know, that phrase there, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. That's not exactly a ringing endorsement of marriage. You know, there's a lot better things that can be said about marriage. Marriage, marriage should be a blessing. God's intention for it is that a husband would bless a wife and a wife would bless a husband and that there would be children who would bless the parents. The parents would bless the children. And the entire family is strong the entire family is uh, bound by love. That's God's intention. And if it's not like that, then something's wrong. Something's wrong somewhere. Usually you can go back, if you examine the family really carefully, if it's not like that, usually what you find is that one partner, or maybe both as the case may be, they've lost their commitment to the Lord. That's what happens. Because when when God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit and when they go into that marriage with the Holy Spirit, they want to serve. They want to serve, right? What does Christ say? Christ said, you'll know them. You'll know them by the love they have one for another. And that starts in the home. That starts with our husband. That starts with our wife. Sometimes we get so complacent. We're so... 
um, I don't know what the word is. Um, you know, we take our spouse for granted. We just assume that they're there. We assume that they're going to be there. We assume that no matter what we say to our spouse or how we treat our spouse or how grouchy we are with our spouse, we assume that they're going to be there. Shouldn't do that. We should never do that. You'll know them by the love they have one for another. So if someone walks in, if, if you had a, an observer in your home and, and they were watching you, would they say, I can tell these people are Christians by the way they treat their husband or by the way they treat their wife? Because that's how it should be. We should treat our spouse with the utmost courtesy, with the utmost respect. We should never take them for granted. We should, try, we should do our best to meet all of their needs. You know, I struggle with that. I managed to load the dishwasher yesterday. I, I, I kind of took a victory lap because I got it done before my wife did. But then a little bit later, and actually I was kind of working on this message right here. A little bit later, I saw my wife taking the garbage out. I, I kind of grew up, you know, I was taught that the guy should take the garbage out. That's just how it is. It's not that she can't. You know, I offered to help my daughter one time. It's kind of funny. I offered to help her. She looked at me and she said, are you implying that I can't do this myself? No, I'm not. But, you know, I'm the dad. I should be helping, right? That's, that's how that works. That's how that function is. So, you know, beginning, beginning clear back and all through the Bible, all through the Bible, you see that marriage was planned by God. Marriage was the intention. God never intended us for go to, to go through life alone. You know, if God had intended us for life, for us to go through life alone, we wouldn't need, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but we wouldn't need a man and a woman to have children, would we? Takes a man and a woman to have children. Two men together, good luck with that. Two women together, good luck with that. No, God's intention was that it was a man and a woman. And the intention all along was that we would have families. We would have families who would carry on. We would teach our children to to love and to worship God. We would teach our children these, these Christian principles that we live by. That was the plan. You know, um, most men that I know would say that their wife is pivotal in their life. Their, their, wife, their wife is pivotal in their life. I didn't realize what a tongue twister that was. But for a husband, the wife is, the wife is kind of like the, the, the linchpin. The wife is the one, you know what, if my wife, my wife has left a few times to uh, go to the Philippines for a couple of weeks by herself. And uh, my life was a disaster. It just was. Things just didn't go well. I just need her to be there to make things function, to make things operate. She's such a big part of my life that if she's gone, nothing goes well. And most men are like that. Most men, and you know, and, unless, unless you have like a really terrible marriage or something, you know, and if, if you have a terrible marriage, there's, there's a fix for that. It's not hopeless. You don't need to walk away. 
You don't need to walk away and start over because you know what? You're going to take the same miserable you with you if you do that. No, you need to fix the problem. And the problem is your connection with God. And your problem is that the Holy Spirit is not, you know, permeating your life and is not leading your life. That's that's fixable. Remember, God, uh, Paul, Paul is not writing a treatise on marriage right here. This is not the intention. He was answering some questions that people had. So Paul didn't intend to be talking here the whole time about marriage. And, you know, some people there in Corinth, they had a really twisted view of what marriage was like. They had a a ridiculous view of what marriage was like. And so he was he was trying to fix that view. And then uh, there are certain aspects that were very uh, specific to Corinth that probably may not apply to us today. Or maybe they apply to us today, but not not to the people in this room. You need to just keep in mind that Paul was writing a letter, writing a real letter to a real church with real problems. He was trying to help them move past those problems. And then everything that was written there was written with, uh, with Paul's belief. Paul believed, pretty much like we do, that the Lord's return is imminent. Paul believed that he would see the Lord return. And so when he's writing to these people and he's talking about the distress of their life and, and all of that, he's writing it because he's fully expecting to see Christ return in his lifetime and he's expecting tremendous persecution to come because that was the expectation was that tremendous persecution would come shortly before the Lord returns. We believe pretty much the same thing today too, don't we? We believe that there's persecution on the way. And in some countries, there's a tremendous amount of persecution already. They're already under a tremendous amount of persecution. We're, we're blessed to live where we do uh, because we don't experience that kind of thing here yet. But we might. We might experience that. We very well may experience that. So Paul was responding to their questions about these things. And he was trying to give them some guidance as far as uh, what might be best for their life in light of the Lord's return and what's best for the church. He's not, his focus was not here on marriage or on families. His focus was on what's best for your spiritual development and what's best for the church. That was his focus. So we need to keep that in mind. You know, if you don't keep that in mind, what happens is, People start proof texting. What's proof texting? Proof texting has nothing to do with your phone. You might be thinking of texting a message. No, it's not, not that kind of proof texting. Proof texting is when you take a verse out of its context and you just simply hold that one sentence up. You know, most verses are one sentence. You hold that one sentence up and you say, so here's my belief and here's the proof. Right there. See see what that verse says? That's proof texting. What you have to do is take the entirety of Scripture. What does the entire Bible say about marriage? Take all of that and bring it all together. Then you're getting the Lord's message. You're getting God's message about marriage. Don't just pull one verse out of the Bible and say, Oh, I believe this and here's my proof. No, that doesn't work. That's not valid. 
you have to take the entirety of Scripture and compare it. Don't take something in isolation. So, moving on to verse 10. But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord. So he's saying, this is not just Paul's opinion. This is God's opinion. This is God's directive. Uh, The wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And that the husband should not divorce the wife. But to the rest I say, uh, not the Lord. So he's saying, this is not what God has said. This is what I'm saying. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he shouldn't divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. This is, remember, that these were Christians. These were, these were pagans who had become Christians. Some of them had become Christians. And so there were some families where the husband or the wife had become a Christian and the other one had not. The other one was still a pagan. And so some of these Christians who were living in these homes where they didn't believe the same thing, they didn't share a common belief. They were saying, gee, maybe it'd be better if I left. Maybe it'd be better if I left my, my pagan husband and uh, he'd go his way and, and, and I would go my way. And so Paul's addressing that. So he says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they're holy. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such case, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So, the basis of Paul's writing is that all areas of our life need to come under the influence of God. All areas. Every area. It's too easy for Christians to compartmentalize things. You know, uh, sometimes people will say, well, that's all, all of these standards and all of these, uh, these beliefs, they, they belong over here in the church box. And everything that's related to my business, that's business. So I have a church and I have business. You know, that's the way, that's the way some of the uh, gangsters were back in the 20s, you know. It's just business. This is business. I'll go to the church and I'll throw $1,000 into the box and I'm good, you know, but that's business. No, it doesn't work like that. Christianity needs to lead us in every area of our life, every area. And so Paul's saying, Paul's saying in your personal life, in your marriage, Christ needs to be central. Christ needs to be central. You need to live out your marriage in a Christ-like manner. So all of these things that we talk about all the time, you know, loving one another, putting your brother or your sister first. Who would you say is your closest brother or sister in your family? It would be your spouse, wouldn't it? Someone you live with, someone who you've made a commitment with, it's your spouse. Your closest neighbor is your spouse. But it's so easy for us to neglect our spouse and say, oh, that's my wife, very familiar with her. You know, I need to elevate this person over here 
because I just met them and, and they need a lot of attention. And so therefore I'm going to neglect my wife or I'm going to neglect my husband because this person, and I just shared the gospel with this guy. I just shared the gospel. He just got saved. I need to go over there and disciple him. So you're going to neglect your wife. You're going to neglect your husband. So you can go over here and disciple this person. And Paul is saying, uh-uh. No. No, that's not how that works. You still have to take care of your spouse. You still have to take care of your family. They're the priority. You know, there was a time in my life when because of my involvement in the church, I did neglect my children. There's about a five-year gap in my memory where I hardly remember doing anything with them because I was always gone. I wasn't with them. No, God gave me those children to nurture and to raise those kids are the ones that are the, they're the ones I should be discipling, right? Who's responsible for teaching those kids? Who's responsible for teaching your kids? Not the pastor. I'm not the one responsible for it. It's not the youth pastor. It's not the, the uh, nursery leaders. No, it's you. You're responsible for raising your children. And if your children get up to be to the age of accountability, whatever that is, and there's a lot of debate about that, but if they get up to the age of accountability and they don't know the difference between wrong and right, you're not going to put that off on the pastor. That's on you. It's our responsibility. God gives us those children. They're a gift from God. And it's our responsibility to raise them as Christians. It's our responsibility to teach them. And to lead by example. What do kids do? Anybody, anybody who's ever had kids know that they're just like a little sponge. They just stand around sponging all the time. Everything you say. You know what? If your child uses bad language, it's probably because you use bad language. If your child is rude, it's probably because you've taught them to be rude. On the other hand, if your child knows how to be polite, you have modeled politeness for them. You have modeled using good language for them. You have modeled kindness for them. All of these things, all of these things are a parent's responsibility. Our children are the closest uh, disciple E, <laughs> disciple E that we have. They're the closest one. They're number one. They're number one. But don't put your children above your spouse. Don't put your children above your husband or wife. You can't neglect your, your husband or your wife just because the kids need attention. You know, a lot of times, especially when kids are little, when kids are little, you know, in the evening, we're pretty well wiped out. We're done. But you cannot neglect your husband or your wife for your children. That relationship is sacred. That's a sacred obligation that you have to take care of your husband or your wife. God wants to permeate every part of our life. God intends to, for the Holy Spirit to lead us to direct our every action, our every thought through the Holy Spirit. 
You know that that if you look back at Romans 12, there's that there's that therefore Romans 12:1. You can look it up later. Uh, there's a there's a relationship. It's our relationship with God and the lives that we live in this world. You know, after the service, go back and read Romans 12. Faith in Christ should our faith in Christ should strengthen our marriage. You know, if a husband and a wife are both committed Christians, you should have a strong marriage. You should have a marriage that's just like cement. Nothing can break it. Because you have built that marriage on the foundation of your relationship with God. God, If God is the very center of your marriage, nothing should break it. You know, as we go through life, and, and I've lived just long enough, just barely, I've lived just barely long enough that I've had some experience with things coming at me from different directions. And as you go through life, you know, when you, when you first get married to somebody, you, just, you don't see everything that's going to happen. And thank God we don't. Because if we did, we'd be terrified. But as you go through life, things come at you. They attack your marriage. They come from different directions. And you get attacked. You get, you get, you know, some of them are, some of them are like spiritual attacks. Some of them are, some of them are other things. But if you have a marriage that has God at the center, those things, it's, it's like, it's like someone shooting bullets at a cement bunker. They can't get through. You might be getting bombed, but, your marriage is your marriage is unshakable it's if you get your eyes off of the lord it's if you get your focus it's if if god loses you know isn't the center of your life anymore then that's when your marriage is vulnerable and that's when sometimes people are like well uh, we can't fix this might as well walk away no you can fix it you can fix it you need to get your focus back on God. You need to get your marriage back on track. And the very first elemental part of that is your relationship with the Lord. So faith in Christ should strengthen our marriage. Faith in Christ should not uh, break a marriage apart. Paul was talking about that when he was saying that, you know, there's an unbeliever and there's a believer and they're living together. They're kind of at odds because... The believer wants to live a Christian lifestyle and the unbeliever doesn't. And so it's kind of like you're off balance. You don't, you don't, have, the, you don't have the oneness that you should have. You don't have the unity that you should have. But the fact is that a believing spouse can lead their husband or their wife to the Lord by just quietly, steadily, uh, displaying a Christ-like spirit by just continuously being a Christian, putting their husband or their wife first, taking care of their husband or their wife in every way that they can. And they're showing love. They're showing love. And Paul says, you know, you may save that person by that. And I, I've witnessed that experience myself. I've seen that for myself. How a believing husband or wife is able to bring their unbelieving husband or wife to the Lord. I've seen that. I've seen that several times. So Paul is saying, don't give up. Don't give up on that. You know, it's bigger than just that picture. Um, 
Paul, Paul endorses marriage for people who, uh, who want to be married. You know, the focus a lot of times, like I said in the beginning, the focus is on, on staying unmarried, you know, staying single. But that's not, that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, if you want to live like that, go ahead. But marriage is a good thing. Uh, scripture gives us uh, a, a model for what our marriage should look like. You know, those relationships need to be primary in our life. It's a, it is a very serious commitment when someone gets married. It's a very serious commitment. It's not something that should be done lightly. Because it's, it's all too easy to, uh, to do it frivolously, to step into marriage frivolously and not really be committed. <clears throat> so, uh, becoming a Christian, these, these people thought that since they had become a Christian out of a pagan lifestyle, that that was grounds for divorce. And Paul says, no. Being a Christian is never grounds for divorce. Being married to someone who is not a Christian, who lives a pagan lifestyle, is not grounds for divorce. Um, any separation that might, be, might happen because of that, Paul says, you need to come back together. You need to work it out. Paul never looked down on marriage. Paul never looked down on marriage, and Paul always saw children and families as a blessing. Um, you know, it's, it's not always easy if you're in a marriage with someone who is not a Christian, because as a Christian, you should want to serve. As a Christian, you should be looking at your church because uh, we are we are our, we are a church family, and we should be serving one another here in the church. And so, if you have a husband who is a pagan, and they don't want to they don't want to be at the church during the week, you know. Sometimes there's something going on here during the week, and and you might want to go if you're a Christian. You might want to you might want to come, or you might want to come early on a Sunday because you're helping in some way you know maybe maybe you're helping um with kids or something and so you you want to come early and and you have a husband who doesn't believe and and of course he doesn't want to come at all certainly doesn't want to come early even if he does so it creates problems you know um if you're not married and you're thinking about getting married you need to think about that do we believe the same way do we have the same faith do we view things from the same directive? You know, there's such a thing as a Christian worldview and a worldly worldview, I guess you would call it. You know, you see life differently. So if you're going to, be, if you're going to get married, how, how is that going to affect your marriage? You know, it's too often that, that I hear people say, oh, things will just work out. We'll be okay. You know, and then when it comes, when you're actually you know, spending a tremendous amount of time together, um, things come up because you just don't see things the same way. And sometimes you're fine. Sometimes a couple is fine until they have children. And then all of a sudden, how are we going to raise our children? How do, what's our viewpoint on things? You know, if, if one spouse is a Christian and the other one is a pagan, they want to raise their kids different ways. Uh, and there's disagreements there, that's very difficult. That just sets you up for failure, doesn't it? It sets you up for difficulties. So you need to think about those things if you um, are not married. 
and you're thinking about getting married. Um, don't put yourself in the position where you have a, a mixed marriage, uh, pagan. Get, get somebody who shares your values. And if you're kind of on the same page, you know, sometimes we're, uh, sometimes people are, are, are very committed, strong Christians, and then sometimes there's kind of like Christians that are like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't take things too seriously. You know, you need to get on the same page. You need to, you need to strengthen the weak one. Because two people who are really strong together, they can't be moved. They're like a rock. But if one of those couples is a little bit wishy-washy, there's not stability there. There isn't stability there. Moving on to verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct all the churches was any man called when he was already circumcised? It's not to be, he is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commandment of God. So some of the Christians, some of the people who had become Christians, they had been Jewish. And under the Jewish law, Circumcision was a sign of the covenant between the Jewish people and God. And so the people who came in from Judaism and became a Christian, their feeling was you basically need to become a Jew before you become a Christian. And there actually was a way that people could do that. Even though they weren't biologically Jewish, they could adopt the Jewish faith. And circumcision was a part of that. So those people who were Jews were pressuring uh, the people who were pagans who had become Christians. They were pressuring them to go through this ritual where they would become a Jew first and then they would become a Christian. Circumcision was a part of that. Paul is saying it's nothing. That's nothing. That has nothing to do with being a Christian. You know, it's an example of, of when... People uh, come into Christianity and they bring all of their previous beliefs with them. All of their wrong uh, misinformation that, that they've probably grown up with. That they were taught probably from childhood. But they bring that all into, the, into the, their Christian relationship. They bring it into the church and they try to influence people with that. Um, we need to leave all that behind. That's what Paul is saying. You're Christians. Focus on being a Christian. And, and don't, don't, put, don't look at your neighbor and say, oh, you ought to be doing this or you ought to be doing that. You know, people have their own relationship with God. Everybody is at a different point in their walk with the Lord. You know, there are some people who are older and they just became a Christian a couple of years ago. Even though they're, you know, an older person, they're still a baby Christian. So you can't look at somebody and say, oh, that's an old guy right there. He must be like really far along in his walk with God. You don't know that. You don't know that. And there might be somebody who's younger and for, for uh, some reason, probably willingness to let the Holy Spirit work in their life. They're a younger person. It would be like Timothy, um, the apostle. Um, 
he he had you know he had moved along quickly in his walk with God even though he was young he was a mature christian so people are at different points and and you know it's it's not it's not up to us to look at somebody and say thus saith the lord you need to do this or that no that's the holy spirit's job that's the holy spirit's job our job is simple well maybe not simple but it's it's not complicated our job is to love each other to love each other at whatever point somebody's walk is with God whether they've just become a Christian our job is to love them and walk with them encourage them stand with them when they need someone to stand there listen to them when they need someone to listen to pray with them that's our job it's not to critique our job is not to critique other Christians our job is to be there for them and love them and share wisdom with them if we have it to share. Each man must remain in that condition which he's been called. That's verse 20. Were you called when you were a slave? Don't worry about it. But if you were able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he has been called. You know, Paul, like I said before, Paul felt like the Lord's return was imminent and that intense persecution was going to be coming. Um, Paul when he wrote this, was not trying to say, he was not trying to make Christianity a preserver of the status quo, which is what it sounds like. Um, Paul said that um, one, one, could, um, one could stay either a Jew or a Gentile or free or bond. Uh, the inference there is that they could be single or widowed or divorced any of that, but if they became a Christian, they were one in Christ. They came together as one in Christ. You know, the the one thing that, um, one thing, I don't even think about it usually, you know, but we have people here, we have people here on a Sunday who are from lots of different places. We have people here who are um, different nationalities, and I don't even know. You know, I don't know. I don't pay attention to that. Um, there are people who, who listen online or on the radio, and, and they're, from, they're from totally different places. Um, we have people who listen to us online um, from Europe. We have people who, one of our biggest countries of listeners is the Philippines. Go figure, I don't know how that happened. Um, people listen from every place. It's not about it's not about your nationality. It's not about what you do for work. It's not about what you were before you became a Christian. It's none of that matters. None of that is even relevant. We are one with Christ. We're brought together to be one with Christ. That's how God looks at us. That that's how it should be. 
Um, so then, then Paul addresses um, Paul addresses the the marriage issue again later on, um, verse twenty five. Um, he said he said uh, he's encouraging people who are not married to uh, stay unmarried if they want to stay unmarried. And he says you can focus on the Lord more if you're not married. That's that's very true. There's truth to that. Um, we all know that if we have jobs, it takes concern, it takes time. If we have a family, a family takes time. Our family takes uh, attention. And, um, you know, keep in mind that when verses 25 through 28 were written, that Paul was referring to a specific question. He was referring to uh, that those words present distress he was talking about present distress we have a present distress today don't we we have a we have we live in kind of a perpetual distress and a lot of it is political a lot of it is because of uh, you know because of fear uh, we live in a time where we're dealing with moral uncertainty we're dealing with um, changing roles of men and women, which is kind of incomprehensible to me. I don't really get it. Um, we live in a time when the failure rate for marriage is so high that a lot of young people are afraid to get married, and what a shame that is. Um, we live in a time where we have a fear of war. We have a fear of disease. We have financial pressures coming all around. All of these things contribute to our distress. Um, and that doesn't even bring into account spiritual warfare, spiritual attacks that we have coming at us simply because we are a Christian. So you look at, you look at those verses there and keep in mind that Paul is talking about, Paul's focus is on what's the best for you as a Christian. What's the best for your church what will what will enable you best to serve God? You know, Paul's reason for singleness, for being unmarried, is um, care about the things of the Lord. He said that people who are single can care about things of the Lord more, and people who are married, they care about things of the world. Well, there's, there's some truth to that, um, but I'm married, and I care a whole lot about things of the Lord. And, um, you know, it's true that Someone who's married, they have their attention divided because, as I said before, we have an obligation to our spouse, we have an obligation to our children, and we need to take care of them. But that statement right there um, seems to kind of idealize singleness and to caricature marriage, and I really don't think that's what Paul intended. I don't think he intended that. And so people who look at that and they say, oh, we shouldn't get married. No, I don't think that's really what Paul was saying. I don't think that's what Paul was saying at all. You know, my personal view is that being married has strengthened me. Being married makes me a stronger person and a more effective person at, at what I do. Um, I, I understand what it is to be a caregiver. I understand what it is to be a father. That gives me a picture of God. I can understand. I can understand a little bit about the character of God because I'm a father and I know how I am with my children. 
that leads us then to understand how God is with us as his children. Um, having a family gives me support, you know. Um, not every day is a good day. And when you go home, a lot of times, it's nice to have a family to go home to. We get support for that. You know, Scripture refers to marriage as a picture of the church and Christ. I don't think God would do that if He looked down on marriage. Eve was created for Adam because God said that it was good. And He said that it was not good for a man to be alone. And I can just say amen to that. Not good. It's not good for a man to be alone. It's not good for me anyway. Um, God referred to God is referred to as our Father, and uh, Jesus' ministry started at a wedding, and so on. And marriage is highly talked about, spoken highly of in Scripture. And so I don't believe that it's... uh, I think people who are looking down on marriage and criticizing marriage, I don't think that's what Paul intended, and I certainly don't think that's what God intended. Um, You know, life is going to have its problems. Um, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And we do, don't we? We do. Pretty much every day. Pretty much every day we have trouble. Fact is, you're going to have trouble whether you're single or whether you're married. And, um, you know, if you feel like you want to be married, and maybe for some reason you had questions about that, um, I believe that that, um, God would God would favor, God would look on you in favor for getting married. And, um, you know, it's a beautiful thing to me when a husband and a wife can share in life's joys and life's sorrows and uh, support each other and hold each other up. So in a moment, just a moment, I'm going to pray. Um, We do have refreshments across the hall afterward. And... uh, I want to thank you for coming out on such a cold day. So stay a little while. It's warm in here. Stay a little while and enjoy fellowship together. Um, If you have never accepted the Lord as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray along with me right now. You can take care of that very quickly. Just simply pray with me. So let's all pray. Lord God Almighty, I do believe in Jesus Christ. I believe, Lord, that He is our redemption. We know, Lord, that we're sinful people and we're in need of a Savior. Father, I give my life, I give my heart to You. I repent of my sinful ways. I I turn from them and I commit myself to serving You. I want to know You in a very real and personal way. I want to follow You and I want to know God's presence in my life. Lord, forgive me of my sin and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let me know the joy of walking with you throughout my journey here on earth. And Father, we just ask you to bless our marriages. We ask you to bless our family. We ask you to keep them safe. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.